everybody. You're listening to The Big Jill Podcast. This is episode 322. No naps for Bryson. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank. Joined this week with only Eddie and no Sam once again, who is, where is he, Eddie? He's in Mykonos. I gave you, this is now the second take we've had of this, and I set you up for a joke again, and once again, you decided to not throw out a joke. Sometimes you got to be serious, you know, sometimes, I don't know, there's, I know he's at a family wedding, Mykonos, Mykonos is a, you know, I think it's one of the gay capitals of the Mediterranean islands, but, uh. You know, who knows what he's up to, but I'm sure he'll come back with some good stories. <laughs> Can't wait. Actually, speaking of good stories, this would have been the opportunity for us to have a guest host. So when I went back home and was talking with some family members about the podcast, several family members requested more Vasilis. They said, this is one interesting person and they'd love to hear more of the Vasilis stories. All right, we can tr- we can try and swing that. Oh, I don't know if I don't know if you'd be good if you put a microphone in front of him. He might just smile and not realize it's a podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'd need him. I remember I've never obviously he has had his voice appear on the podcast before. I've done Zoom calls with him. He doesn't, you know, with his work, he doesn't do anything like that. So He's the only person around the age of 30 I've ever been around who the Zoom call just like blew his mind. He didn't understand it at all. He didn't understand when he was muted. He didn't understand when he wasn't muted. I think he kind of thought that like if I stopped talking, we were automatically muted. So he would just say whatever he wanted, which got us into trouble a couple of times because he commented on other people on the call. So I don't think he, he would be the only person in the world that doesn't understand how zoom works. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think he would really get this, but yeah, if, I'll try and I'll try and set up a night where he is in my house and kind of off drinking in the corner and just bring him in for a story and get him to comment on some things. Yeah. Or if we can get some new Vasilis stories. I mean, they are always gold. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the shame, right? I've been away. He, he I've been away. He's been away. He was away for a few months. So there was no fresh Vasilis content, so I mean, I'll see him. I'll start seeing him more frequently now, and we'll get some. He's sure to deliver some stories. Yeah. So before we get into our week two NFL picks, I had a question for you. I wanted to see what your answer would be. So the past few weeks, uh, my dog has been really sick and hasn't been eating and has been in a lot of pain. So we've been enticing him to try and eat by giving him more human foods and not eating dog food, but giving him legitimate foods. You know, like we bought rotisserie chicken, we're giving him the chicken and he seemed to kind of like that, but it got to a point where he really wouldn't eat anything for over a day. So I went to Sonic and not knowing what to get him, I got him popcorn chicken a plain hamburger and a peanut butter milkshake with the hopes that one of those three would entice him to eat something that got me thinking if you were in a foul mood or not feeling well, what's like the one food that could kind of propel you to eat that would kind of get you excited. 
would it be like a fast food thing or would it have to be more of a homemade food thing? I think if I was really miserable, some homemade food that I liked from my childhood is more likely to do the trick. If I think of something that I could get almost anywhere, I might say a milkshake. I think a milkshake almost always puts me in a slightly better mood. Like there's something, it's hard to be too serious when you're drinking a milkshake. So I think, <laughs> you know, like I think well, I have you to and go. my dog share a similar characteristic, Eddie, because out of the three, the milkshake was the one he ate the most of. <laughs> it doesn't say, yeah, well, I'm flattered. <laughs> for a second, too, Not I thought, a... <laughs> for a second, too, you started by prefacing this right by saying how sick your dog was and he wasn't eating and that you had a question for me. I thought I was going to get super serious and be like, should I put my dog down? <laughs> <laughs> no we're not up to that question yet so far the medication seems to be working but if not that might be a more serious podcast episode we have we'll put it to the listeners yeah we can have a listener vote yeah we'll let it be like the coliseum thumbs up thumbs down what are we doing with them <laughs> but are we interpreting it with the movie rules or the actual coliseum rules because we as don't tell them likes to point out they are different <laughs> yeah we don't we don't tell them we don't say which interpretation we're using and they have to try and guess which way it's going to go. So that could skew. They should be not wanting, they want to keep the dog alive, but they accidentally vote to have the dog killed. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Glad I, get, I actually I get, was thinking. I'm just saying glad I could I get, to, you, get to you lose some listeners early by making jokes about dogs dying. Cause that's people love those. <laughs> those are classics. Going back to the food, though, if I were in Paris, my pick would have been the empanadas. I honestly think if I felt like crap and you brought me emp- like empanadas, if next time I'm in Paris and I have like a two day hangover coupled with being really sick and I'm just miserable on your couch, useless. If you brought me empanadas, it could rouse me to go back out. <laughs> the, the empanadas, I mean, people are going to be listening to this ride and thinking, why, when you go to Paris, do you want to order empanadas? But there is a good Argentinian restaurant near my house that does very nice empanadas. It's still weird as a selection of so a guy. Good. It's still weird from a selection of a guy who basically lives in Mexico. But <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And I will say those are better than any I've had in Arizona. And I've sought out places in Arizona to go with I think, like authentic empanadas. I think one of the strengths is, right, you see empanadas right across South and Latin America. I think the Argentinian ones are a nice style because sometimes yeah. they're like deep fried and stuff. I like that they're baked. That's and a And the plus. fact that they're you baked. You can eat more. Yeah. And they feel, <laughs> they don't feel as like unhealthy and gross instantly. Yes. So. I think the Argentinian style is, we're going into our soup juice podcast here, but I think, I think that's one of the benefits. <laughs> Speaking really quickly of the soup juice, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, we were eating soup yesterday and we were debating whether it was a soup or a stew. And I thought to myself, oh, that would be such a great topic on the podcast. And then about three minutes later, I said, no, wait. We've definitely already done that topic on the podcast. <laughs> I don't get how it's a debate. It's very clear to me if it's a soup or a stew. <laughs> if it has, it's not for me because you see beef stews that are like not thick, but just have beef in it. What defines a stew for you? Does it have to be thick? I think it's got to be thick. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's ratio of of it's more than that. It's the ratio of the like the, the meat, the meat or the ingredient to the liquid, and it's the intent of the person making it too. Which is Got the it. stew is it's it's literally letting the broth stew, you know, like the meat or whatever stew in the cooking process. Where yes. whereas the soup, you're like just trying to cook it, release the flavors, obviously into the liquid, but it's not the sort of same. I would say for the most part. That's actually exactly what I said. Oh, there you go. On the same page. I said a stew is when the meat cooks in the the liquid. And it's like a lot more meat to liquid. Yeah. And I would definitely when I picture a stew, I picture something thicker. For sure. But this is a thrilling podcast. (laughs) Hey, we got people talking about putting dogs down, eating stew. Well, we can, if you want, switch on to one of the interesting sports stories from the week with the Ryder Cup only eight days away, I guess now. A week away by the time people are listening to this. Uh, Brooks Kepka came out and said that he finds the demands of playing the Ryder Cup odd and mentally challenging as he prepares to play Europe next week. He uh, he told so, the, Do you want more of the quote or? I... I well, Gonna. I want the clarification on, on what, what it means. So Yeah, he, does he mean like playing for your country or he, just the format of I think it's the format more doubles, that, singles. He it's the format, it's the team format. So he said he said it's hectic. There's no time to decompress. I don't want to say it's a bad week. We're just so individualized and everyone has their routine and different way of doing things. And now we have to go to a meeting at this time or go do this or go do that. It's the opposite of what happens in a major week. If I break down a major week, it's so chill. I go to the course, play nine holes. I go to the gym. Other than that, I'm sitting watching television, taking my mind off the golf. It's Whereas this is so far from my normal routine that it leaves me dead by the end of Sunday singles. It's tough. There are times where I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What did you? What do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week. Now somebody else hit a bad shot and left me in a bad spot, and I know this hole is a loss. That's new. You have to change the way you think about things. You go from an individual sport every week to a team sport one week a year. There are meetings and team building, and you're whisked away for a lot of things like pictures and all that. Under regular conditions, I take a lot of naps. I might take an hour, hour and a half nap, or just chill on the couch. There's no time to do that at the Ryder Cup. It's more demanding than I'm used to, and there's a lot more emotion. So by Sunday, you're just dead. All right, is that it? (laughs) I just wanted to give full context. I mean, I have to say I am a, I'm Team Kupka over Team DeChambeau, but that is not a good look. I, I mean, do... Boil that down to complaining you get less nap time as a professional athlete making millions of dollars a year. Not a good look. No. And also the fact that it you have to think as a team is his other com- complaint, right? And so, oh, I might play well, but someone else messes up and somehow this is my fault. Like yeah. that's his other complaint. Not a good look. If Deschambeau had come out with that quote, people would be ripping into him left, right, and center. But because it's, oh, yeah. because it's Kepco. People are probably a little bit more forgiving. It also plays really right into the overall trend, right? Which is you go into almost every Ryder Cup thinking, 
the USA is more talented, but that Europe buys into the team principle so much more and manages to rally around each other and produce results. And that you have people like Ian Poulter, who week in, week out on the PGA Tour struggles and sometimes isn't even making it into major events, but then turns up to the Ryder Cup and just thrives in the environment and loves it. Calls himself the postman, right? Like he he does. <laughs> he does. He loves it. You know, uh, I know it's, it's him and Carl Malone, you know, they always deliver, but, but, uh, in response, maybe to that's this, what the U S needs. Maybe the U S needs Carl Malone on the other side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to deliver and also have sex with a 13 year old girl, but the, the <laughs> go look it up. Oh, Anyone who's not sure what I'm talking okay. about, go, go on the internet. You'll find it. But, um, uh, Paul Azinger came out and said, not everyone embraces it. I know players who felt that way. I'm sure he loves the Ryder Cup. Brooks is one of the most honest and candid, candid guys. And if he is honest with himself, and if he doesn't want to be there, he should say it. He should relinquish his spot and get people there who do love the Ryder Cup. Yeah, but that is a part I slightly disagree with because at the end of the day, you don't want the people there who are like, this is so cool. You want the people who are your best athletes. So even though he might hate it, he's still probably a better golfer than the other person you can bring in that just, you know, is thinks it's so cool to play in a Ryder Cup. Maybe. But I think you want your best match play players. And I think that's the thing is that match, which is another thing they talk about, right? When you come through the youth system in Europe, you play a lot of match play golf. Like match play is a big part of youth tournaments here. Whereas in the U.S., you almost never play match play. It will always just be stroke play in a tournament. and Yeah, but match play can be individual still, right? It can be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most So as long as you put Kepka mostly in the individual matches. No, but you still need a different mindset. Because if you're playing your best round, you are playing your best round, if you see what I mean. So you go hit your best possible shot at all times. Whereas if we start playing match play and, you know, I hit a bad shot then you might think to yourself, okay, I can play this more conservatively and win this hole. And so you're going to have to alter what you do or the opposite. You put yourself five foot from the pin and suddenly I've got to react to that and put myself or you, I have a six foot putt and you have a 20 foot putt and you drain your 20 foot putt. And all of a sudden my six foot putt looks like a 20 foot putt. And there are people who deal with that really well. Uh, Again, Poulter is one of them. I think the Americans don't. You even see it. They struggle recently in the President's Cup. They've not exactly swept aside the rest of the world in that. And that's an even lower standard of competition than you see from Europe. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, the USA are favorites. They're one to two favorites. Europe are two to one and the tie is 12 to one. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, those are, in- those are just not a good look for Kepka. I-, I mean, at least... Azinger is right. He is an honest person. I mean, if you take away one thing from what he says, he's not going to shy away from what he thinks. But no, yeah. What he thinks might not be the right thing sometimes. No, especially now. Being candid when you're in an individual sport, easy. Because the responsibility for what you say is just on you. So if you mess up, if you're in, if you're midway through the Masters and you make a comment after the second round that people don't like, well, it's just you. You and your caddy. Yeah. And your and like your family and stuff, but in terms of going out and hitting shots, it's just you. Whereas going into a team event, 
you say something stupid like this, you now know in the build-up to this Ryder Cup, every American player is going to get asked, do you like the format? Do you like the pressure? Do you find it more difficult? Do you want to be able to take naps? Like, Do you, lot, do do you, you lose not? nap time? Exactly. <laughs> so in a sense, he's pushed all of this onto, it's going to get projected onto all of his teammates. So he's also then not helped the team in that in that way either. Now, DeChambeau has to come out day one in the Ryder Cup with a t-shirt that says, I don't, I don't take naps. <laughs> no nap, Bryson. Yeah, he's got it. I mean, he's at one point, I understand he keeps saying he wants to take the high road and like be the better person. But at some point, he's so down there now. At this point, what's, what's it, what's it matter if you start fighting back? His public I'll perception just, is so low. Just I'll fight back, man. At this I'll point. say this. If he, if he plays a practice round with a hat that had like the no smoking sign, but instead of the of the cigarette, it just said nap and just had that. I would he'd become my favorite person overnight. I'd be fully on board with Bryson just from that move. I mean, there's so much you could do. Like naps are for amateurs or like no nap needed or something like just like anything would be so good. Yeah. Well, let's see. Or if you brought what if you brought like a pillow out to his at the practice range? That would be a good one too. He could turn to all set of it his, up next to where Kepka is, is as practice round. He could have all of his head <laughs> like cover at the range. No, you could have all of his head covers be pillows, and then just be yeah, just be offering them up to Bryson during the practice round. <laughs> oh yeah, he needs to stop taking the high road. I, I wonder at some point. I seriously wonder if some of the higher ups in the, like the the players, or like whatever it is, the golf, what is it? The T, I don't know what it's called. The PGA? people who run, yeah, there we go. I couldn't think of it. The people who run the PGA, I wonder if at some point they have talked to him about how to respond and how to react. I just because don't it think... would be better for them. When you hear the people who know him speak about it, it's not in his nature. And they talk about how the fact that actually one of the things he clearly really wants is to be liked. And this is what he finds difficult is that he's the heel in this and that Kepka is the guy everyone loves. And that the more Kepka does chance. it, maybe, but I still think he might feel like, I think what would be frustrating looking at his personality, I bet you he sees this quote. And in the same way he that we thought if Bryson had said that, he'd get killed, he probably thinks to himself, if I said that, I'd get killed. And this is so unfair Yeah, because I'm turning up yeah. to represent my country and I don't complain about the fact that I don't take a nap. And here's Brooks Kepka saying what? he doesn't get to nap enough and everyone's okay with it. What if he becomes a sponsor for like Sleepy Time Tea? My pillow. It's like, I don't normally nap during the day, so I find it difficult to sleep. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> should just he do. Has, he, he should just he do the Trump. One hundred dollars each time they throw like a sleepy time tea bag. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you could encourage people to start throwing stuff. I think he get himself banned from the PGA Tour pretty swiftly. But <laughs> he could do the Trump right. Just start calling Kepka the My Pillow guy. Just give him a nickname and just not not stop using it and just. I thought you were just going to say Sleepy Brooks. Like how Sleepy he calls Brooks. him Sleepy Joe. Yeah, Sleepy Brooks also <laughs> works. Sleepy Brooks or the My Pillow guy, either one, he should just go for it. <laughs> yeah, he needs to have a sit down with Trump on his on his insults. Exactly. There's a guy who, I mean, 
just nailing everything. So, and look, Trump's probably got, you know, he's got some more free time now, loves golf. He should get Trump to be his caddy. Not to carry his clubs, just to give him insults to to throw Kepka's way mid-round. Now that would be must-watch golf. I don't even know how to transition from the Ryder Cup to the NFL, actually, because I was gonna, I was gonna say speaking of America's game, but then I was like America's pastime is baseball, so that's not gonna be a smooth transition. America's team isn't playing in, in the Thursday night football, so that wasn't an easy way to go either. But speaking of the NFL, then well, now you you could have kept it in Washington with the Thursday night game. True. There we go. Yeah. So, no Sam, but he has sent our picks. He sent in sent our picks. He sent us our picks. He sent in his picks, and he hasn't given any of his reasoning. I just have his selections, so I thought maybe, Frank, you can try and give us an insight into how Sam's brain works and maybe share some thoughts on why he's gone a particular way for certain games. I would be happy to share why Sam's gone a particular way. <laughs> Yeah, you're just 15 years too late. <laughs> but uh, anyway. In the picks. Sorry. Yeah. I had something in my mouth. So. <laughs> I won't bite. But uh, so game number one of the weekend, Thursday night football, must watch TV with Frank, your beloved New York Giants at the Washington football team. They are where Washington are three and a half point favorites. What's your pick? How do you feel? You're a Giants fan. What's the feeling going into this? I listened this morning to a Giants podcast for a little bit, which I normally don't do, but I was just really interested in to see what the feel was after that terrible week one game and then going into playing Washington. And what's really funny is the feeling of Daniel Jones within the organization is still of a potential elite level QB. And the person who is reporting on this is a inside Giants reporter. And he said both on and off the record, every single person from the top of the organization all the way down to the players on the field fully believe Daniel Jones is an elite level QB. I don't know why and where they're getting this from. Supposedly in practice, he's amazing, but there is obviously anyone who's played sports ever knows that there is a major difference between the practice field and the game field. And maybe he's just not a clutch game player. You know, we talked about last week about Ronaldo being, you know, just a clutch gamer and like on the level of Tom Brady. Maybe he's just not. Maybe he can go and practice and throw it great when it doesn't matter, when he knows he's not going to get crushed and hit. But when you put him out there with the game on the line, well, we spoke he can't. We spoke about that a little bit, right, when we were t- talking about the Osaka and her talking about the pressures of being an athlete and having sympathy for that from the mental health aspect, but also knowing that there's a difference between the mental health side of things and just the pressure of performing, which is they're totally, they're kind of related, but totally separate in terms of how they should be viewed. And yeah, again, maybe Daniel Jones, when there's no pressure on him, when there's not thousands of people, millions of people watching him, he can throw the pass perfectly. Yeah. But when he realizes, now I got to do it, it's just not there for him. Yeah. I mean, you look at, the, I mean, a great example would be Patrick Mahomes 
last week when they were down and he just uh, escaped the pressure, turned around and dropped a bomb right into Tyreek Hill's lap. Yeah, I mean, you know, whereas Daniel Jones would try and do that scramble and fumble. Some of it's situational though, right? So this is where you always feel bad for rookie quarterbacks. And then the question becomes, can you ever recover? He's not so, a rookie. No, <laughs> but what I mean year. is what I mean is like the rookie, as a rookie, you've arrived at a certain situation. Patrick Mahomes arrived basically in the best possible scenario for him with a great head coach in a place where he had no immediate pressure. He got to learn from Alex Smith for a bit. He's then got a super creative play caller coming up with stuff. He's got weapons all around him and he is able to do stupid stuff like just survive in the pocket for a little bit and then heave a ball downfield and then go in a press conference and say, you know what I thought in my mind, I thought, fuck it, Tyreek's got to be down there somewhere. So like, you know, if Daniel Jones was going into a press conference and saying, Hey, why did you do that three yard dump off? And he went and he said, Well, fuck it. I thought Saquon had to be there somewhere. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not quite the same thing. So Saquon's on IR, Daniel Jones. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I threw it into the stands. Thought he might get his first catch of the season. <laughs> I threw it into the ambulance. I crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think and but then, then the question becomes, right? At a certain moment, when have you just dis- when has the situation destroyed all of his confidence? When is it even recoverable, even if he went somewhere else and got that fresh start? In a sense, you're seeing that experiment being played out a little bit with Sam Darnold, where yep. there's a lot of people who buy into the idea that he is a very talented quarterback and just was in a nightmare scenario. Daniel Jones also, he's going to be haunted, right, by that one. Not by ghosts. That's Darnold. No, that's Darnold. But him by trip <laughs> just falling over. That's the butt fumble yes. for him, right? It's it's the you got to see it, even though fundamentally it's a really good play. That's the difference between that and the butt fumble is it still was a really good play, even if he fell over. But just the fact that that is the go to highlight of Daniel Jones's career so far. That's not good either. No, it's not. What I will say is they're playing a Washington team that is starting Taylor Henneke or Tyler Henneke who's only now, I think this is his third career start. Or no, second career start, third appearance, I believe. Because he didn't start that playoff game. He came in yeah. in relief, I believe. So they're playing a quarterback who's even more of a question mark, who got a good deal off of playing a few games last year. The Washington defense is obviously the worry against a terrible Giants offensive line. But the Giants have won five in a row versus Washington and swept them last year. And compared to last year, the teams aren't much different. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say this is a make-or-break game, and the Giants will win this. And I will go out on a further limb and say Daniel Jones actually has a good game. And by good, I mean multiple touchdowns and one or less turnovers. Wow, that's like that's amazing. Um, hey, by his standard, sure, yeah, because I think he's turned the ball over forty times. I think so far in his career, and he's fumbled thirty times. Yes, which is insane. Seventeen, I think it was seventeen in the first year, and he only played twelve games. Yeah, so. I, I I can't have your confidence. The Giants are firmly in the I won't believe it until I see it category for me in NFL teams right now. 
And so, yes, here's the thing is, is Heineke compared to Fitzpatrick? Is that a, is that a big drop off? I don't know. He came in last week. He looked pretty good. Carolina, the people always spoke pretty highly of him. I don't know. I'm not a huge Fitzpatrick fan, so I don't know if that's really a major drop-off because I just don't know. You're rolling the dice with Fitzpatrick as to what you're going to get. Here, you might might at least have someone who you can you know is a known quantity in some respects. So I feel pretty confident about Washington. I think they'll win. I think they'll cover the spread. I think their defense, I mean, just Daniel Jones might not be seeing ghosts like Sam Darnold, but he has to be terrified of what this Washington pass rush could potentially do to him. So here's a, this is the, also the anniversary of when Saquon, Saquon Barkley had his injury last year. So not a, a 12 month period that's gone well for the giants. And you also, this is a, a debate we've had lots of times, right? Frank bad, which which one was the worst draft pick at this point? Saquon Barkley or Daniel Jones? Oh, Daniel Jones, without a doubt. Barkley could have played three games and it's a better pick than Daniel Jones. Solely for the and it's not that's not a knock on Daniel Jones. It's a knock on Gettleman for taking a guy number six when they had a draft pick right below it that he clearly would have still been available for without a doubt. And they wasted a number six pick when they could have gotten him. I think it was whatever their second pick was 15th or something like that. They easily could have picked him and they wasted so much. They missed so much talent with that pick. So that's solely on where he was selected. But speaking of Barkley, that but, is an issue, but, but for can this I just, game can, as well, can I just counter that slightly though? Because mm-hmm. I think Daniel Jones has at least some trade value. I don't know if Saquon Barkley has any trade value now. Now, when I say some trade value, I, think he I, I don't know what you get for you think. What do you think someone gets gives up for Saquon Barkley right now? Like today, sure. Or four weeks down the road when he's back to being a full time player, full healthy, but in whatever version that looks. I think you can get a second round pick for him. No way. No way. I think you'd be lucky to get like a fifth round pick right now for Saquon. No. Unless he comes out and has has a pro bowl. What are you paying for? He's consistently injured. He doesn't really even look the same player now in the bits and Well, consistently injured is different because he's had two serious injuries. That's different than saying someone who like every week, you know, has like, a bruised shoulder sure. or like a bum foot. I mean, these are two freak serious injuries that have taken a long time to recover from. You say freak serious injuries, but he is playing football as a running back. So he's going to take major impacts. So when you've already had two big injuries through that, the question is how more, how, how likely is it that you continue to break down over time? I don't know. I wouldn't want, I would not trade. I would trade for Daniel Jones ahead of Saquon Barkley. What a pack of gum. <laughs> well, I, 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 one, one of your Mentos Sa- mint packets that you for, have for Saquon, I'd, I'd send up a, a pack of used gum. So that, that would be. <laughs> do you do you save your gum? Do you re do you repackage it after after chewing? Yeah, I make a shrine to myself using it. 
So who's your pick's Washington? My pick's Washington, and Sam's pick. Do you want to guess what his pick is? Yeah, I mean, Washington's starting a guy with the name Heine in it, so I'm going to think he's picking Washington. (laughs) He is picking Washington to win and cover the spread. (laughs) Next up, we have the Bills, who are three-point favorites against the Dolphins. This is a really good matchup for the fact that the Bills... This is a must win for the Bills. They cannot go down 0-2 to the Dolphins within that division. That would be a worst case scenario when they, you know, thought, where will we be after the first two games? So I am going to go on the assumption that that Bills game was just a blip and maybe they weren't ready. Maybe they were a little over cocky. I just think that offense is better than what they showed. And I know the Steelers have a good defense, but I think it was more that offense just struggled, just wasn't ready, whatever it was. I think they're going to come a lot better prepared. You're playing a Dolphins team who should have lost to the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots completely out outplayed them offensively, uh, just a couple of bad turnovers. So I think the Bills will win this. The stat that I found that's pretty good about this is since – uh, Sean McDermott took over in 2017. They are seven and one against the Dolphins, and all but one of those wins, so six out of the seven, have been by more than three points. So I'll take the Bills, and I'll take the Bills to cover. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I don't love the fact that part of the reason I feel so confident in the Bills is just, well, surely they're not going to be bad, which. Is not like sound logic because there are teams who just have nightmare seasons. And so just picking a team because I don't think they'll lose. Although I do love to have one of my rules is pick a, t- a good team after a loss. Cause so there is there. It's just the doubt is, am I, am I super confident that the bills are actually a good team this year? And that performance against the Steelers has raised some doubt in my mind as to whether or not the bills bubble has burst slightly. But I agree with you. I think they're better pretty much everywhere this dolphin team dolphins team is a little bit scary in certain regards but i just think the bills will come out with a point to prove that offense can be so explosive when it works it wasn't against the steelers but i don't think they'll miss fire two weeks in a row and you're right if they lose this one i wouldn't say they're in trouble just because of the 17 week season and that division is not if the I think if the Patriots had won week one and then the Patriots won this week and the Dolphins beat the Bills this week and they were two games behind the Patriots, I think that would send they'd be concerned, but I think they'd tell themselves, okay, we're two points we're two games behind the Dolphins. If we still win twelve games, we're fine. So I think they'll win, I think they'll cover. And Sam agrees with with both of us. Yeah, if there's one thing I know about Sam, he is an enormous fan of the chicken wing. And why would he not pick the place where the buffalo wing was invented and go with the Bills? He is a massive chicken wing fan. Eats like a dozen a dozen a day. Those are rumors that I can neither confirm nor deny. But next up, we have Sam's favorite team. We've got the Bears. The Bengals at the Bears, or even the Bears at the Bengals. 
and the which, which is it? <laughs> no, it's the Bengals at the Bears. Correct. Yes, it's the Bengals at the Bears, and the Bears are two and a half point favorites. Probably it, a line that I think I, I think might surprise a few people. In that, obviously, the Bengals won in Week One. The Bears looked pretty terrible in Week One, but I don't. I don't think this Bengals team is very good. I don't think this Bears team is very good either. But I think that they. <laughs> I mean, this is a this is maybe the worst game of the week. But this, this is, is your definitely a good game. This is my non-watch game. This is, I hope I don't see a second of it. Right, but I, th- you know, the, the Bengals are a young team. There's a lot of question marks over a lot of areas. I, I'm, I'm just going to tr- put a little bit of faith in, in the Bears and take the Bears to win and cover the spread. I don't love it. It's a complete stay away from me in every regard, both watching, picking it for a survivor, having any fantasy players, whatever it is, completely stay away from this game, but I'll, I'll back, I'll back the bear. I guess the big storyline, I guess, about this is it's Dalton against his old team. That's the real. Yeah. I mean, that is your storyline, I guess. Andy Dalton coming back to play the Bengals. For me, when I saw both teams play last week, I thought the Bengals were the better team, and I thought Joe Burrow looked good. I mean, he had a very efficient 20 out of 27, 260, and two TDs. That's that's a great week one after coming back from a horrific injury. And we talked about Jamar Chase having a case of the drops in the preseason, but he caught everything that went his way and had 100 yards and a TD in his first game. So maybe when it counts and it's not preseason, he's going to step it up. I expect them to do much of the same. I think they have the better offense than the Bears. The only issue is, again, Cincinnati has just an atrocious offensive line. They didn't do much to help Burrow. And it's just very scary having a guy who almost had his leg broken off still playing against that with that same line. Uh, the Bears have a decent defense. They know how to get pressure. So that will be an issue. But I think the Bengals will put up too many points for the Bears to get at. And that could be as little as 21 points. So I'm going to take the Bengals over the Bears. You don't even have to tell me who Sam picks. I know he picks the Bengals, and it's got to be Joe Burrow. Yeah, he's gone for Sweet Lips Joe. He is. Say that one is thing the about most Sam. predictable pick. <laughs> Say one thing about Sam, but he is somewhat loyal. So he is. <laughs> somewhat loyal. He is sometimes <laughs> he is. occasionally loyal. Yeah. When he's asleep, he's loyal. So um, let's move on to the next game where the the Broncos are playing the Jags, the Broncos at in Jacksonville, and the Broncos are six-point favorites. I'll keep this one pretty quick. I saw nothing to like about the Jags last week. Yes, you've got the Trevor Lawrence experience going on there, but it just looks like a little bit of a nightmare situation for him in year one. The Broncos... They're the same old Broncos, right? They're, their defense is pretty good. If they don't turn the ball over, if they don't get in their own way, then they're a pretty decent team. So I think the Broncos will handle this one fairly easily. So I think the Broncos will win, and the Broncos will cover the six-point spread. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater had the second highest completion percentage in week one at 77.8%. So he will continue that against the Jags. I don't see any way that that Jags defense is going to be able to be any better than what the Broncos faced in week one. They did lose Jerry Judy, um, and Judy, by all accounts, was having a great preseason and had a good week one before that injury. So that is a concern, but the thing that Trevor Lawrence should be actively following is the injury report because they are saying Bradley Chubb could be back from injury, and if I'm Trevor Lawrence, that is going to be one scary sight, seeing Bradley Chubb coming at me full speed. So I, I'm on the Broncos. I'm a little surprised how negative people are on the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. I mean, I've read several places already that the Urban Meyer experiment has failed and it's week one. I mean, it's crazy to me. And and these are professional analysts that are saying that. And I just don't get it. You can't judge a a coach on the first week with a terrible team. It's not like he's been given the Buccaneers team and they've gone out and shit the bed. I mean, he has arguably the worst roster in the NFL to work with besides Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you got to cut the guy some slack. I know they looked bad where they weren't even lining up in the right spots and things like that, but you got to give it more than a week. That's crazy. Oh yeah. This is a three year experiment. If he doesn't properly. Um, I do think part of what we've, you know, in our lifetime, right. We've seen this transition to this mode now where rookie quarterbacks start straight out of the box, which you know, he never used to have and Trevor Lawrence would have sat for a whole year. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes, right, was a backup for only came in in week 17 of his first season. But I think we've also now convinced ourselves that not only can rookie quarterbacks start straight away, but they're going to be really good straight away. And that, of course, the Jags should win games because they've got one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. And having one of the 10 best quarterbacks means you should be beating mediocre teams no matter who else is on the roster. And that's just a mistake. And yeah, people are already talking about, right, that he's going to go back to college, that he's going to quit and, and you know, take a big job that, that pops up. It seems dumb. Oh, wait, wait. You're talking about Urban Meyer. I thought for a second you were talking about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's he going to do? Just go back and be a normal student? Like, yeah. Hey, guys, I got, I got three semesters left in my marketing major, so yeah. you're just going to see me back here. You know, I've yeah, lost all my eligibility, but I'm just going to hang out in marketing 352 and try yeah. and get a B. <laughs> Shave his head. Just go back, try and be a regular student at Clemson. But... Yeah, no, I think, but still, it's it's going to be a bad, it's going to be a tough season for him, and the pressure on both of them is probably going to grow a little bit over there. There's going to be people, I, I fully expect people midway through the season to start saying, Trevor Lawrence, are we sure that he's good? I'm sure that those storylines, there's people waiting who probably doubted him throughout the college years, who probably doubted that he was as good as everyone said, and they're just, they've got it all typed out. They're ready to just publish that article as soon as there's four or five losses there in a really nightmare game. But people just need to be patient. This is a really bad team, in a, and it takes time to turn that around. It's not a one-player fix. But yeah, I think I think they'll lose this one, and they might lose it badly. So there might be some of the more of those stories a few days from now. Now, who do you think Sam has gone for? I think Sam is gone for the Broncos, and I wish I had a, a better reasoning other than he probably also thinks the Jaguars suck. <laughs> well, I told you 
Sam, he's a fairly loyal boy. And there's one thing Sam, (laughs) there's one thing Sam likes. He likes the Bengals, but he also loves himself. A nice young man straight out of college. And he has not been able to resist the temptation of Trevor Lawrence's flowing locks. And he has taken not only the Jags with six points, he has taken the Jags to win this game. Wow. Upset alert. Yeah. Sam has been dazzled by sunshine and is taking taking Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. That is that is impressive. If it pays off. <laughs> it's a bold move, Cotton. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a potentially bold move. It's a potential disaster. And but from there, we can move on to what is the tied for the biggest spread of the week and that is the browns who are at home to the houston texas texas houston texans and the browns are 13 point favorites this is the first time the browns have been favored by 12 or more points since you want to guess what year oh sometime in the 90s 1995 That is pretty crazy. For me, yes, the Texans did have a pretty easy win, but we're just coming off of who they beat, and that's the Jaguars. Jacksonville's riding a 16-game losing streak, so you know throwing another loss onto them isn't that impressive. Although the fact that I did not think the Texans would even be able to score points and they scored as many as they did was slightly impressive. Um, the part that scares me about, so I, I will take the Browns to win. The part that scares me about the cover is that the Browns, that was a very tough game for them and they got some injuries from that game. They are definitely down a little bit, I think from giving up that game and and losing that game when they could have won it. And that's a lot of points. I just don't feel comfortable taking the Browns by that many. If you had given me another team like the Chiefs, I think maybe. But the Browns, they're a team that likes to do, you know, the the ground and pound type of offense when they can. And this seems like a game where they'll say, we don't need to have a shootout and throw 40 times. We can run it 50. And with that, I think you leave the that backdoor cover open and I could see this being Texans scoring late to make it 11 points, you know, and the Browns missing a cover 13 is just too much for me. So I'll take the Texans to cover go Texans. So I, I, yeah, I think the Browns will win. I'd see no reason to doubt that at all. I, you know, we both agreed, right? Their stock went up based on their, performance last week even if they lost but i agree with you it's a lot of points now the interesting thing right is it feels like a lot of points it 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 makes you want to not take a team because you just think to yourself well even if they're up you know 18 with a final possession and the, the kind of garbage time touchdown comes in and you get the backdoor cover for the texans and so a game that was a complete blowout is still a really comfortable win for them and they don't really care. And to a certain extent, you almost saw that last week a little bit with the Niners. 
in the way that they just sort of shut things down a bit in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden the game that was out of hand suddenly becomes quite close, but actually double digit favorites cover the spread more often than single digit favorites by 4%. So statistically speaking, you should be more comfortable backing a double digit favorite than you should be backing a single digit favorite. And I was going to take the Texans with the points, but because I've put that stat forward, I'm going to have to back my stats and I'm going to take the Browns minus 13. Yeah, I, no, I agree with you. For, for me, the only issue is you have a team that's coming off the second most points scored in week one. And while again, it's against the Jaguars, the fact that they can score 37 points in a week, even if this week they only score 14 that means the Browns have to score oh, 28. I think, I think if they you know? only score 14, the Browns cover this spread. I only get... But I, I think would only that's... Start, really? Yeah, I'd only start to get worried. You need to tell me the Texans had 21 points before it started to be a little concerned. I think the Browns will score 30-plus. Wow. Now, is Sam a fan of double digits or single digits? That's my question, Eddie. Wow. Sam's going to Browntown, but he only wants a single digit there. So he is taking he is taking the Browns to win, but he is taking the Texans with the points. <laughs> I like that you didn't just take the Browns as the joke. You went above <laughs> and beyond what you needed to do. Thank you. It's the best I'm going to do this week. And from there, we can move on to the Rams at the Colts, where the Rams are three and a half point favorites. This is a tough one for me with when we did our season preview, I had the Colts as a team to make the playoffs, but I had the Rams as a team to make the Super Bowl. So something kind of has to give here for me, but it wouldn't be in my best interest for the Colts to be 0-2. I don't know. To be honest, I'm a little surprised this spread is only three. The Rams looked very good in week one. The Colts looked okay. Uh, but some of the stats are a little deceiving. So Carson Wentz threw for 251 and had two scores, which looks like a great game for him. But as a team, the receiving core only had 10 catches for 124 yards. So a lot of those were dump offs to the receiver, uh, to the running backs. And in a game where you're probably with the way Stafford played, there's a potential you could go behind and you're going to have to throw to your receivers. That isn't a very strong stat to have with the inability to hit your receivers. So that worries me. The other part that worries me is you, they still have a lot of injuries. Darius Leonard is questionable. Quentin Nelson questionable. Xavier Rhodes. Those are huge players for the Colts while the Rams basically came out of week one completely healthy. The only thing I think that goes into Colts' favor is if you go back and look at some of the drives in that game, they dominated possession, the Colts. just I think they uh, had the ball two times more, but they just couldn't finish their drives for touchdowns. So if they can fix that and start scoring touchdowns instead of kicking field goals, then I think they'll have a shot. But I'm going to go with a Rams defense that is extremely solid and pretty shut down and a Rams offense that looks much improved with Stafford. So I'll go with the Rams to win and to cover. 
Yeah, I'll keep it simple. I'm pretty much, I mean, I think the Rams are going to be, you know, very good this year and put up a lot of points. And so I think they'll win this. I think they'll cover the spread. Sam makes it a clean sweep. Up next, we have the Raiders at the Steelers. The Steelers are six-point favorites. Frank, you've always got a strong opinion when the Steelers come up. How are you feeling about them going into week two? This is my upset pick, Eddie. I just cannot help myself. The Raiders looked decent against the Ravens, and the Ravens are a good team. The Ravens are a playoff team. Did they? I did think, they? Did they yes, look decent? They they put up five hundred yards of offense. Yeah, they also turned the ball over multiple times. They made dumb mistakes. Did they really look? I don't that know. Good? Had, yeah, I think they looked decent against a team that. Pretty much everyone was picking the Ravens. Also, they put up 500 yards. Also, let's, they, how much? What? How many yards did they put up? You got to for starters, you got to sub out the yards. 450. From, okay, so yeah, like take out overtime yards because you don't just get extra time and be like, wow, statistically amazing. Still, a lot of yards, and I think that they did a pretty good job against that Ravens run offense. I mean, that's what the Ravens are known for is running it down your throat, and they shut them down pretty well. And that's about the only thing the Steelers can do in their offense is run the ball. In a different way, though, right? The Steelers the Steelers are going to run the ball, but Big Ben is not going to be shoving anything down your throat unless he's cornering you in a bar somewhere in Pittsburgh. Oh, so, so, so there's uh, there's no way. It's a very different looking, you know, animal that they're going to take on this week. I just don't think the Steelers are going to be able to score enough to beat the Raiders. So I'm going to take the Raiders. I'm going to take the Steelers. I thought they lo- their defenses look so good and just I'm just I'm just expecting a lot of cuts to Gruden standing on the sideline looking confused and disappointed with what's just happened as <laughs> Carr is one of those people right who looks dominant in a helmet and not a- <laughs> No, but there are quarterbacks. You're really going after the QBs in this game. No, but seriously, there's quarterbacks who look who get their helmet looking right. Like Eli Manning, right? Always look dumb in a helmet. Yeah, we've got to do this. Yeah, never look good. And I can just never trust the the quarterbacks who who don't take the time to sort themselves out in a helmet. And car, <laughs> you can make yourself look better in a helmet. I don't know. It's gonna change his face. Plastic surgery. Get a different type of helmet. Get a different size helmet. I mean, you had that a little bit right in the Monday night football coverage that the Manning brothers did when, I don't know if you saw the moment when Peyton threw the Ravens helmet on and then they commented on the fact that he needed like an extra, extra, extra large helmet and he had had to have custom helmets because of the size of his head. You got to go the Peyton way. Get yourself yourself a helmet that makes you look normal. And you looked at look how dumb Peyton looked in in a normal football helmet. He's got a, but I think you're gonna get a lot of car looking looking back towards the field, kind of like hands kind of shrugging, looking back there, kind of not figuring out exactly what happened, trying to figure out why he just got sacked two times on a drive on a four and out, and just looking back to people, and then Gruden just a quick cut to Gruden just flipping his microphone back up on his ear. <laughs> It's going to happen a lot. And so I think the Steelers win this. The Steelers cover the spread. Who do you think Sam has gone for? I'm going to say 
Sam is a major fan of some of the shows in Las Vegas. So I think he's going to take the, the Raiders to cover. I'm not sure if Vegas is uh, Sam's kind of town, but I think... <laughs> There's uh, something for everyone in Vegas, Eddie. Well, in this in this time, he he he's looking more for some big burly men coming out of steel out of his steel factory, and he has taken the the Steelers minus six. Sam does love a good piece of iron. <laughs> Next up, got the Patriots at the Jets, and the Patriots are six point favorites as well. This one for me is easy. I said it before when we talked about Miami. The Patriots outgained Miami 393 to 259, but they had penalties and turnovers, and that's the reason they lost. Bill Belichick is not a coach who will tolerate losses due to penalties and turnovers, so that's probably already been fixed in this week's training. The other thing we talked about when we when we discussed the Pats-Miami uh, game is that Belichick has a great plan for rookie QBs or young QBs who haven't seen the field very often. And Tua didn't play very well. He had a 39 QBR and a 79.6 passer rating, 200 yards. So not a very good day for Tua. And now you're giving Zach Wilson his second ever start against Belichick. I don't know many people who, if you gave them that scenario of Bill Belichick, versus second start of a rookie QB that they would take the rookie QB. So I'm taking Pats to win, Pats to cover. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it last week, right? Tua is the only quarterback in Belichick's career as a head coach who has ever beaten him as a rookie. So statistically speaking, this just doesn't happen, and this should be a foregone conclusion. You then throw in the fact that Belichick has absolutely owned the Jets over the course of his time in New England. It's not saying a lot, right? The Jets have been terrible, bar... A couple of years under Rex Ryan, the Jets have been terrible for most of that period, and the Patriots have been really good. They play each other twice a year, so they kind of should be dominating those matchups. But this one feels a little bit to me that, that this is only six points. feels a little bit like an overreaction to the final couple of minutes of both of those games. So mm-hmm. the Patriots should have won that game. If they just don't have the fumble late on, they kick the field goal, they probably win the game. Or if they drive it in, they win, cover last week's spread. And then equally, the Jets kind of came back into that game against the Panthers because the Panthers didn't totally put them away, even though yep. the Panthers were up the entire time and never really looked like they were going to lose. And I just think the spread, this feels like it should be a double-digit spread. And I'm sure it will be in the reverse fixture when the Jets are at the Patriots. So I'm taking the Patriots to win and to cover. And unsurprisingly, Sam is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. I I mean, even when you compare the rookie QBs, Wilson uh, last week completed 54% of his passes and took seven sacks or six sacks versus Mac uh, Jones, who completed 75% and took only one sack. So with Wilson kind of getting hammered by the Panthers defense, Belichick will have a scheme to make sure he gets just as many sacks, and they've lost Makai Becton, who's their best offensive lineman. So you're without your best offensive tackle. Not a good scenario for Wilson. Yeah. And, I mean, and just to, to throw in, I'm confident enough this is my survivor pick this week, 
which will make it consecutive weeks going against the Jets. Chose the Panthers last week, made it on to week two, which is always nice not to go out in the for uh, the first time of asking. And uh, yeah, it's the, the Patriots for me this week. Next up, we have the Saints against the Panthers. And the Saints are three and a half point favorites. This one, when you look at the week one games, yes, the Panthers won, but we are just coming off the fact that they played the Jets and the Jets are not a good team right now. And you have the Saints who thrashed, thromped even the Packers. The Saints to me are a much better team and maybe that, Maybe they're not that good. You know, maybe they're not beat the Packers by 20 plus points good, but I think they are a good quality team and a playoff contending team. And I do not think the Panthers are a playoff contending team. New Orleans is also really good on the road. So they're eight and three against the spread when they're a road favorite since 2019. So I'll keep up with those statistics and I'm going to take the Saints to win and the Saints to cover. This is my upset alert of the week. This is seems like one of those big, I think the Panthers are decent. They didn't look great against the Jets, but you just know, look, Christian McCaffrey put 200 yards on their offense. Just pencil that in. It's done, right? Rushing, receiving, he's going to have it. And then I look at this Saints team. How much are we overreacting to the fact that they beat a Jeopardy host last week? So, you know, I... I don't know how to read into that, and I want. I'm going to put the Saints in the category of let me see them do it a couple of times before I totally believe in them. And I think I think the Panthers are feistier than they looked against the Jets, and I think this is there's some storylines that need to be prepared right now in the Sam Darnold biggest win of his career. This is what the this is what we're going to be discussing on. Sunday evening, Monday morning. And yeah, I'm taking the the Panthers to win and obviously the Panthers with the points. And I can't believe we're not discussing the fact that LeVar Burton was QBing the Packers in week one. Yeah, and he probably could have done better if he'd taken that little visor, you know, from from Star Trek off. He would have had more uh, <laughs> vision for the entire field. He, he really had a really limited view. But for know. someone who can read a rainbow, he certainly couldn't read a defense. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, and Sam is on your side. He has taken the Saints, and he's minus three point five. Yeah, I mean, listen. If we know Sam, he's a he's a person who likes to collect his beads at a party. So, and he doesn't need a bag to carry them. Up next, Niners Nation makes an appearance as we have the San Francisco 49ers on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Niners are three-point favorites. Frank, who's your pick? I will keep this short because I know you might have some better insight into the Niners. The Eagles were impressive week one. I think it surprised a lot of people, but I think now there's a lot of people who are overreacting to a week one win. They still have Jalen Hurts as their QB, who I'm not saying he couldn't be a, a great QB, but he's still young. He's still pretty unproven versus a Niners team that 
you know, they have all the traits to be a Super Bowl contending team. And I think this three is actually a good value. So I'm going to take the Niners to win and the Niners to cover. Are you going to tell me about Niners injuries already now? No, I mean, obviously there are some injury concerns. Dre Greenlaw's out. You know, uh, Raheem Mostert's done for the year. I, I mean, Mostert's a good player. It's a shame. But at the same time, look, the Niners running backs, they're just plug and play. I mean, it just doesn't matter who's back there. You know, Shanahan's just coming up with run schemes where I think I could run for 150 yards in the NFL if Shanahan was my coach. But the, you know, I'm not too concerned with any of the injuries so far. I agree with you. There's a little bit of an overreaction here to the Eagles from week one against a Falcons team that I think might be garbage. I mean, every year we kind of convince ourselves, and I managed to do it before ahead of week one, convince myself that they might be pretty good, that the offense can fire, and that we're going to see something that resembles the team that made the Super Bowl a few years ago, and that Matt Ryan with so many weapons, wow, it could be scary. They're going to score 40 points a game, and then you watch them and you suddenly go, oh no, their defense is terrible, and they can't move the ball consistently. And it took the Eagles a while to really comfortably pull ahead of them in that game. I just think the best thing, the worst thing that happened to the Eagles for me coming into this week is the fact that the Niners let things slip at the back end of that game. Because I think you then had a week of them focusing so much on what they did wrong and not coming on the back of this as a 30-point blowout against a team and riding high, and this is where they come back to earth. So I think everything is lining up for the, the Niners to just put on a show in Philadelphia. I take the minus 13 in this game. Niners to win, Niners to cover. Is Sam going for San Francisco or the city of brotherly love? Sam, Sam has uh, ordered himself some rice aroni. And uh, he's waiting it for is, his San Francisco his treat, treat to arrive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A joke he wouldn't get. Now, mention the Falcons when discussing the Eagles. And up next, we have the Falcons at the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers, like the Browns, are 13-point favorites. So, should we be 4% more confident that the Buccaneers are going to cover? What, what are your thoughts, Frank? Uh, so, this is my survivor pick of the week. Uh, I have went the Bucks, so obviously I'm going to pick the Bucks to win. I'm also going to take the Bucks to cover. So the major reason for this is not the fact that the Bucks are reigning Super Bowl champs and the Falcons looked pretty atrocious week one, but that you're giving Tampa Bay and Tom Brady an extended rest. So last year they were two and zero straight up and against the spread when they had 10 days off in between games. Brady is a player who will prepare and over-prepare and over-prepare, and I think he'll do the same here. And I believe that they will put the Falcons away early and just keep on the gas and just win by maybe 18, 20 points. Yeah. 
it feels weird taking two 13 point favorites to cover because I would think statistically, even though there's a 4% increased likelihood that one of them covers, I think there's probably like a 70% likelihood that they don't both cover. But I'm going to agree with you. It just feels like. Now, no, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to take the Bucks to win, but I'm not. I'm going to take the Falcons plus wow. the 13 points. Threading a needle. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly big. Needle. It's a fairly big eye of the needle, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it. And uh, Sam agrees with me. He is threading that needle as well. So he has the Buccaneers to win, and the Falcons with the points. But here is where things get interesting, because Sam has made a mistake when he sent me the screenshots of his picks. He sent me one screen twice, so we have no none of his picks for the remaining games. So we will have to make his selections for him on his Ooh. behalf using Sam logic. I could see, you know, I'm not surprised he took the Falcons. He's a big Marvel fan, and all those Marvel movies filmed in Atlanta. People didn't know. There we go. Well, up next. Vikings at Cardinals, and the Cardinals are three and a half point favorites. Can I? Can you say "stay away" game any louder than this game? What's really funny is even reading some other people's previews and predictions. Everyone agrees with the same things we say that the Vikings and the Cardinals are the two most unpredictable teams in the NFL. I. I it's to me, this should be an easy pick based off of last week where you have Arizona's defense should dominate the Vikings offensive line have just as impressive of a game. I mean, obviously maybe Chandler Jones doesn't have five sacks again, but they should have a dominant game up front and the Vikings defense did not look good in week one. And that Cardinals offense seemed to click on all cylinders so it should be another great day for Kyler Murray. That's the easy takeaways from week one. However, as we say, week in and week out, year after year, the Cardinals find it so difficult to string wins together, and the Vikings find it so difficult to just be the Vikings. So I will take the cards to win, and I will take the cards to cover, but I am going to as much as it pains me, I have to stay away from this game because I cannot trust either team. Yeah, this is definitely a stay away. I'm, but for that reason, I'm going to take the team with the points because I don't know which version of either one of them is going to turn up. So I'd rather at least be in a situation where I'm getting more than a field goal from one of them and hoping that this is the the week that the Vikings offense turns up and just runs all over this Cardinals defense, which will just be out of sorts this week. And Cousins is finding players 30 yards downfield wide open and, you know, plays are breaking down on offense for the Cardinals. So I'm going to take the Vikings to win and the Vikings plus the 3.5. Now, how do we think Sam feels about this game? Well, I know Sam is a huge fan of the show Vikings. So for that reason alone, I know he's not a fan of any show with a Cardinal in it. And I'm going to say he goes Vikings with the points. 
Yeah, I mean, if anything, given his lifestyle choices, right, he should be afraid of cardinals. I mean, long history of abuse within the Catholic Church, so it's just oh. not a good place for him. Not the bird. Go He's not the afraid bird. of the bird. <laughs> He's also a big fan of kissing cousins, so yeah, I think... He's it's the Vikings for him, and he's a and he's an anti-vaxer. Also, so true. all signs Strongest. point to Vikings. All signs point to Kirk. <laughs> Next up, we have the Cowboys at the Chargers, and the Chargers are three and a half point favorites. Does this spread surprise you? Yes and no. I expected the Chargers to be favorites. I maybe expected it to be two and a half, three points. The fact that it's over a field goal surprises me a little bit. But I do feel as if I wanted it to be less because I really wanted to feel confident about taking the Chargers because I just don't believe in the Cowboys yet. And so I really wanted to see a maybe pick them spread and then I would have felt great about the, about the Chargers. But it's right at that point where Cowboys kind of scare me. So I'm a little bit surprised by the spread and I'm also simultaneously a little bit disappointed in the spread. Yeah, you know what? For me... I'm going to go Cowboys. I'm going to steal the Seahawks tagline, and I think you should let Dak cook and let Zeke eat it. That should be the Cowboys offense. Just heavy doses of Zeke run and then just bombs from Dak, from Dak Prescott. I, this is going to be a shootout. There's no way around it. There's no way this is not a shootout. I would like to see the over-under on total passing yards. I would take anything. I would take 700 yards. I would take over that. Because the Cowboys just getting over that field goal, I'm going to feel, I feel a little bit more confident taking them in a game that I agree with you could be a shootout. So I like having more than three points there. As for the winner, I don't really like threading the needle. So I'm just going to take the Cowboys to win. How do we think Sam would go? Does he want to find himself a cowboy? Does he want to find himself a surfer boy? Which way is he leaning? Sam would always say, save the wave, ride a cowboy. (laughs) All right. We'll make it a clean sweep then. Next up, we have a game that in some ways should maybe be the matchup of the, certainly of the late games, arguably of every game that isn't, you know, Sunday night football or, uh, yeah, probably other than Sunday night football, Titans at Seahawks. But based on their week one performances, this game looks dramatically different than it did 10 days ago. The Seahawks are six point favorites against the Titans. I'm just going to say my week one overreaction, but my week one conclusion is that the Titans are garbage. I'm just throwing them right in there. I'm not picking them out for week two. They're staying there. I hope I get to toss a few more pieces of scrap on them after they get blown out by the Seahawks. So I'm going Seahawks to win and Seahawks to cover. Man, you're just not a fan of the Titans. For me... Both of these teams have similar styles, so they both kind of like to do that run heavy and then play action into those deep pass throws. But I think Wilson does that a lot better than Tannehill does. 
The only thing I will say is I still slightly believe in the Titans, and I don't think they'll be embarrassed two weeks in a row. So I'm going to go Seahawks to win, but Titans to cover. And how do we think Sam is going? Hmm, This is a tough one. I think Sam has gone for the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm actually going to say no. Wow, this is tough, actually. We have two friends who are, strangely, we got one friend, Ollie, listener to the podcast. He's a Seahawks fan. We have another friend who, for reasons completely unknown, is a big Titans fan. And we're in a group, group chat where all he would ever do is randomly message Titans when the Titans had scored. It was his contribution to the group chat for about six years. He would like literally serious conversations would go on amongst other people about a million other things. And then randomly Sunday at, you know, seven o'clock in the evening, you would just get all caps Titans. And, uh, I, I don't know which one would annoy him more. Is he an anti Ollie pick or is he a, Anti Max pick. I think he's anti Ollie. I think we'll please Ollie too if we've if we've bundled Sam into the anti Ollie position and it will cheer as Ollie hears this now, it will cheer him up a little bit. So I think I think we gotta let's give let's let he loves to thread the needle. So let's say he's taking the Seahawks to win, but the Titans plus six. How about that? Seahawks to win. Yeah. My question is why again is Ollie a Seahawks fan? Is he like Vasilis? Because Vasilis is also a Seahawks fan, and his reasoning is he liked the colors of the sweatshirt he bought, <laughs> so is that, which are is awful. That why, which are awful colors too. Because he's that got why like that neon. As well? uh, I don't. Ollie I think loves Ollie, neon green. I think Ollie, when he started kind of getting into the NFL and following it and betting on it, was when the Seahawks were starting to become good. So I think there was just the fact that they were probably winning for him in bets a bit, and then also the Super Bowl when they just dismantled the Broncos was uh, was kind of he enjoyed that. I think he made a decent amount of money off of it, enjoyed the night out. So I think that might have sealed the deal. He was already a Seahawks fan at that point, but I think that cemented so he, it. He's kind of riding the bandwagon. Seems about right for Ollie. But he's That's still the type on it. Person he is. Yeah, Chelsea fan, plastic Chelsea, Chelsea fan. fan. <laughs> uh, up next, we have thinks he's fast, th- but isn't. <laughs> and maybe if he got on a faster bandwagon, he'd be able to keep up. Yeah. Up next, we got the Chiefs at the Ravens with the Sunday Night Football good game. Chiefs are three and a half point favorites. Yeah, this is a good game. I'm glad now. Well, actually, last week's wasn't very good, was it? The Rams, but the Monday night was good. So at least you're getting some good games here in your Sunday nights and Monday nights. And I mean, the Thursday night, you know, Washington Giants, that's a matchup for the ages. Um, But this one, while I do think this is a good matchup in terms of viewing, watching it, I think this is not a good matchup for the Ravens. The Chiefs have won the last two meetings at Baltimore by double digits. I think the Chiefs are going to win here. I think they are slightly pissed about their performance last week. So I think they are going to be a little more efficient with scoring touchdowns and not ending drives and field goals. And I cannot go against 
Patrick Mahomes, who in the month of September is 11 and 0, 35 touchdowns, no interceptions, and 3,500 yards. I cannot go against that stat. Yeah, I'll back the September stat too. We spoke about it on the last episode. It's just incredible. I I think there were a lot of warning signs for the Ravens in that performance against the Raiders too. Their inability to stop the pass rush, just the amount of pressure that did get to Lamar. I'm, yeah, I just think, I think the Chiefs just have too much for them. It'll be a fun game. Definitely a must watch, but yeah, I think that the Chiefs win the Chiefs cover. Now, where do we go with Sam? He actually historically, I think he, he likes backing the Ravens. He also likes backing the Chiefs. Is he really going to thread the needle on this one, or do you think he just takes the Chiefs across the board? No. I mean, you know Sam better than I do, but even I know he's a big Billy Joe Armstrong fan, the Green Day singer, and right now he's just riding that Mahomes September and saying, wake me up when September ends, but until then, I'm taking the Chiefs. He loves that eye makeup. Huge fan. That's believable. Uh, up next, finish it off with Monday Night Football, Lions at Packers, and the Packers are 11-point favorites. Is this an easy pick? I think it's an easy pick money line. I don't know if it's an easy pick spread-wise, spread but yeah. I'll say for me, look, I think the Lions are going to be terrible. I don't think the Packers are amazing. As we said, as we kind of discussed in the last episode, I think they might have won this division by default, which is the best thing they have going for them. I do think that Aaron Rodgers is into himself enough, right? That this is Monday night football. He got a lot of flack after his performance last week. I think he comes out now with a statement game, wants to do his you know, discount double check celebration or I don't know, double jeopardy celebration. I don't, I don't know what he's going to do nowadays, but he, I think he will love the spotlight, love the extra attention because people coming into it, talking about how bad he was the week before. I think he probably throws for 500 yards and they just absolutely crush the lions. So I'll take the Packers to win and the, and the Packers to cover the spread. Yeah, I agree with you. I dug up some pretty good stats so the Packers, this is pretty crazy. Games played in California or Florida in the Matt LaFleur era, they are one in five against the spread. In all other states, they're 22, eight and one against the spread. So as long as they're not playing a team from California or Florida, there's a really good chance they're going to cover the spread. The other stat is that they failed to cover the spread or push in back-to-back games only once in the Matt LaFleur era. So it's very unlikely that they go back-to-back games of that type of quality. I think the Lions are slightly flattered by the fact that they came back in a game that they were down 20 points plus in. I think the Packers are the superior team, and I agree with you. This is a classic Aaron Rodgers will show up for this just because it's the spotlight and he wants that attention. So I will go with the Packers to cover. And how do we think Sam is rounding off his week? I think Sam, he is a constant consumer of big little lies. 
huge Shailene Woodley fan. I think he's going to go Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. There we have it. That wraps up week two. Now, bet of the week, which Sam has also failed to submit. So this might be one of the few bet of the weeks that he doesn't lose. So he's got that going for him. Now, last week, we placed our bets. uh, Frank, your bet of the week last week was the Rams, Chiefs, and Bills, all against the spread. (laughs) Just say loss. Only the Rams covered. So you're starting pot of 100,000. You're down down to 95,000. Sam's bet of the week was the Rams, Seahawks, Patriots, and Panthers all to win. So he was let down by the Patriots. So he is down to 90,000. My bet of the week was the Niners, Panthers, Chiefs, and Rams all to win. So that was got me off to a winning start. So I am now up to a hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars. So twenty-three thousand and three hundred to be precise. What is your bet of the week, Frank? So I slightly teased my bet of the week in our predictions. And although I cannot find a line for total passing yards in the Cowboys Chargers game. On bet three, six, five, you can do a parlay of Justin Herbert over 300 yards passing and Dak Prescott over 305 yards passing. And that pays out at 12 to five. That is my bet of the week. And how much do I have left? You're down to 95,000. I will put 15,000 on that. Oh. And that was what? What did you say the odds were? 12 to 5. 15,000. Big boy bet. Well, you know me. I like to get a lead and then just conservatively hold on to it. And <laughs> what a way and to live this life. Week, I am going to do that by playing it. <laughs> this week, I'm going to do that by playing it absolutely what I hope would be safely by throwing in a four team, yet another four team money line bet. This week, it's going to be the Browns, the Packers, and the Bucks, all of whom I think are pretty safe. And I'm just going to put the Patriots in there as the final one. And I am also going to do 15,000 on it, which would win 32,918. So odds of 2.19. Wow. And Sam automatically bets 15,000 for a loss. It's an automatic loss. Right. So before we end, we do touch a little bit always on television. And I had two things for you on television. The first one is TBS uh, has the show The Cube, which I did not know, but was originally a British show. So I'm assuming you're familiar with it. Yeah, I watched it quite a bit. The British version of it. Yeah. I've never seen the American version, but yeah, I've seen the British version quite a bit. It's it's been it's it's fairly old at this point, yeah. That's kind of what I figured. Now, 
I really enjoy it because there's a lot of things on it that I specifically think I would be good at. I honestly think I could excel at this because I have really good hand-eye coordination and good short-term memory, which would help me in this show. The issue I have is I don't know if it's the same in the British show, but they give them a set amount of lives and then they have them do challenges and then they work their way up the um, like money with the different challenges. In this show, the issue is they don't have any set points like in who wants to be a millionaire. So when you get up to like 10 or 20,000 and you have five lives left, if you don't complete the challenge, you lose everything. Versus like in in uh, who wants to be a millionaire, think, you would have like that I think thirty thousand or whatever. I think it's the same. I think you got to walk away. You have to not start yes. the the challenge if you want to just walk away yes. with your money. It completely ruins the show because I've seen multiple shows now where people have six lives left and they get up to a decent amount of money and they will not risk it. And I don't get it. Like you're on a television show. They are making $20,000 for, there's two of them. With taxes, they're taking home $5,000. I mean, that is not life altering money that on a TV show, you don't just say, hey, let's risk it. I've, I've been a long, you know, I've long said, you, you, you've maybe only got one shot at this. You go for it. Even on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? You kind of, and yeah, that's a nice thing. And I do like the new version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire at least in the UK where I don't know if it's the same in the U S you set your life, you set the point, the, the thresholds. No, I didn't so know like, that. Yeah. So now in the UK before it always used to be like 1,000 and 32,000 where the guaranteed money, you automatically get the 1,000, but then you get to decide when you want to set the second one. So you can oh. do it conservatively. You, you decide before or like during you decide during the game, but before the question. So before they ask you the question, they'll say, do you want to set it now? And you'll say no. And then they'll ask you the question. So if wow, you're feeling like confident, that. if you got, it's a nice spin, right? Because if you've got all your lifelines, then you can be like, no, no, we got to 32, but I think I can, I think I can handle this, even if I have to burn all my lifelines on this question. So I get what you're saying. I think maybe as the show evolves, you'll get people who come on feeling more adventurous in their strategy. Yeah, but. it's a good show to watch, though. I, I enjoy it because you get several good things about game shows. One, you get that I can do this kind of feeling where like, oh, I couldn't do that one. Oh, I could definitely do this one. And then two, you get the watching people struggle and suffer, which is, you know, oh, like it's not good, but it is entertaining to see people just yeah. not be able to do something. And you're just like, how are you not doing this? It's not that difficult. So it has that. The other aspect, I don't know if this was in the original, but they have two, not lifelines, whatever you want to call it, helps. And one of them is you simplify the game. So you make it easier somehow. Yeah. And then the other yeah, one way. is the host can fill in for you to do it. And the host is Dwayne Wade. Now, I've only seen Dwayne Wade be called upon three times to do something. And every time he has crushed it. Talk about a gamer. This guy, he gets called in and just drains it every time he wins. 
Well, I think there'll be two things obviously going in his way, right? You're talking about an elite level athlete who, even if he's been retired for a couple of years, still hand-eye coordination will be out of this world. Good fitness, flexibility, everything going for him, balance. I'm also assuming, and he's maybe struggling. in the U.S., yes, maybe in the U.S. version, no. Maybe they intentionally don't because I don't think they have that gimmick in the U.K. version where the host is not a former professional athlete anyway. But... I know there's the Australian version and I happen to follow the guy who's the host of that on Instagram. And he posts a lot of videos of him like pre game show attempting the challenges that they're going to do. I'm sure Dwayne Wade's tried them out a couple times. Still impressive to not fail. Yeah. But you've Cause least, he only gets one shot. Yeah. But you still he, at least maybe kind of like worked out your strategy with no pressure on you. But yeah. Which also it's a weird gig. You know, like, <laughs> but this is what I hate about the U.S. I genuinely, with their game shows, they go for like celebrity pull factor over just getting people who are really good. And I don't know, maybe Dwayne Wade's really good at this. He's good. He actually is pretty good. He's funny. He's quick on his feet. Uh, you know, with the conversation, and he's quick on his feet in the in the queue. But then this is the killer, right? Because then, in a sense, it hurts it long term because Dwayne Wade's been good at this. So now they're going to do another game show, and they'll be like, "Oh, we should." Dwayne Wade was good, so we'll get another former professional athlete who we think has personality. <laughs> and it's like, well, this guy sucks because like most of them are not going to be good at this. I would rather you don't have the host try and be a reason to watch the show, that the show itself carries itself. Now, obviously, I'm not a TV executive and I'm not facing the pressure of ratings, but it would be nice if you had people who that's what they did for a living and you knew they were really good at it. But The Cube's a good show. I think the thing, the only thing with The Cube is after a couple seasons, yeah, you've seen it all. That's true. Because at this point, when you're watching it, you're still seeing new games or new challenges or whatever. So it's still entertaining. I mean, they repeat some already, but for the most but even part, if you're ne- seeing new ones. Even when they start having new ones, you're still like, well, this is pretty similar to one I've already seen. And I, I yeah. get it by now. It's like the total wipeout kind of thing. They kind of all fall into that category of like, they've got a, they've got a shelf life. Yeah. Now, in the UK version, last question, does the cube talk? Yeah, it's got like a robotic voice. Okay, like good. Weird okay. Was, female say, android voice, I think. This is a male like, android voice. I think it's a female one. But yeah, it does talk. For some reason, my iPhone, because I use the, um, the voice in my car when I hook up my iPhone, it's somehow just randomly switched to a female english woman it's it's quite nice it's it's way nicer than the american one the american one is like you know like text so and so who do you want to text that's the response i get and this one is like oh it'd be lovely to do that for you the other um tv thing was did you see netflix came out with the schumacher documentary came out with which documentary a schumacher michael schumacher oh yeah i've i've seen it yeah I've, oh I've you've seen to, it already I've, I've no no i've seen that it came out i have not gotcha. watched it yet we should watch it and discuss it i think that would probably be a pretty interesting one yeah you are a fan of the yeah, formula no. one and actually i've never watched the formula one show on netflix but everyone says it's really good it is good yeah 
no, it's it's a good way. I think if you're not into it, it of getting an understanding of some of the aspects of the racing. I, I've known several people who, up until that point, had just thought it was cars driving around in a circle and how is it compelling. And then they watch that, they get a sense of the personalities of the drivers, which means they start to like someone or dislike someone, which makes watching it more interesting. But also, they get a better understanding of what are they trying to do, what are the what are the tactics of a race. Like what's actually going into it. So I think it's a good way of starting to appreciate it a bit more. But I mean, I am a well-made sports documentary. I'm all over it. Yeah, that's I don't care what the sport is. Yeah. I mean, you could tell me the rest of my life. That's all I'm consuming. That and live sports. And I'd be fine. TV and movies. I wouldn't complain. Now, the emphasis is on well-made there, though, because there are some nightmarish sports documentaries where... People just don't know what they're doing and they try and make storylines that just aren't there. Like that's the killer, right? When you know the topic pretty well and then you watch it and they've tried to make some drama there that wasn't, or they've tried to twist it into a way of like, like the last oh, dance. Was, yeah. Like <laughs> this was always in doubt and you're like, it wasn't in doubt. I always knew they were going to win. Um, but yeah, no sports documentaries all over it. So the last little bit of news I have sports wise before we sign off for today is did you see the newest story about Cristiano Ronaldo? Um, I mean, I've his when he hit the no, his not, no, not when he hit the the poor security <laughs> guard woman in the head. In the head, he demolished her head. Thank God that was yeah. the back of her head, because if that was the front of her face, she's never looking the same. <laughs> but it's already gave her a shirt, so it's it's fine. Yeah. But you can tell the type of person he is because they if you look at the video and the pictures of him, he runs over and genuinely looks distraught about it. Yeah, and he also kind of does a concussion test with her where he's asking what, her did questions. You shake he's her head, really? No, no, he he's he's like he's <laughs> Is that what you think concussion tests are, Frank? Just violently <laughs> shaking the person's head. He seems okay, he didn't die. Now, um yeah, where he's like obviously asking her like how many fingers do you see like are you are you dizzy like he's obviously going through all of that yeah no the one i'm referring to is that he had to recently move mansions in the uk so they'd only been at their first place that he moved into for about a week but supposedly he was not being able to sleep at night because the sheep outside were too loud and the bond noises were keeping him up at night. So they had to relocate mansions within the first week of moving to England. I mean, is that something that sounds even remotely believable? I guess it is. Living in a mansion, you don't think you have the technology to keep out sheep noises? I would have thought good double glazed window windows would have taken care of that. But you don't think he has like a $5,000 like dreamscape sound machine? But you got to be a sound machine person then, right? Maybe you're just a he total He looks like a sound person. machine person. He does look like a sound machine person. He does look like that. But maybe he's a total silence, in which case, I mean, I can kind of get it. But it does sound like a bullshitty excuse, but I can kind of get it. Do you know anyone who's a sound machine person? Um, 
Yeah, I have friends who are really into yeah. them. I don't think I know anyone that enjoys the I'm sound not, machine. But I'm not, but I know people who like listen to rainfall and stuff at night. That would just drive me insane. Like jungle noises. But no, I'm I just like a podcast being on. Hopefully How's people are falling I, asleep. I like the office. <laughs> hopefully hopefully people are falling asleep to my voice right now. <laughs> they were definitely falling asleep to the one that you did the intro for a few weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. I was just making sure. I bet you Brooks Kepka listens to our podcast during his naps. Maybe that can be our niche. Yeah. Just podcast just for golfers to help them take naps between rounds. I like it. Well, with that, good night, Brooks. Enjoy your sleep. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio.